All right, welcome back in to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall, joined as always tonight by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, um, I'm hoping it's not snowing out where you are. I'm sorry, Alex. Uh, Before we can go any further, I do think that we need to bring a federal negotiator in here. I don't think that this this is really going anywhere. Uh, You're asking me questions that I'm just not prepared to answer right now. So I think we need to get a federal negotiator in here. That's good. That's good. I he did not tell me he was going to do that before we started, and you started in on that. I was like, "What?" <laughs> before we get started, what? So I was good. No, yeah. The um, I saw Whit Merrifield's comments about um, they say an, a federal mediator. That's what that's oh, yeah. what Major League Baseball. No, no, no. It was the same thing. So Major League Baseball wanted to bring in a federal mediator to come in and and mediate these meetings, which is which is interesting. And you, yep, saw, yep. I don't know if everybody saw Whit Merrifield's comments about that. He talked with Jason Stark of the athletic and was very outspoken to why about why that's a bad idea. It's never ended well for the players. And I think, I think a lot of folks miss the fact that like this is major league baseball, not worried about you, the fan. They're not worried about the players. They are worried about scraping together every last penny that they can scrape together yep. for the owners. Yep. And I don't, I don't understand Jeremy, how every single time I see a discussion about this and there was a woman who tagged me in a thing on Facebook, uh, an article I wrote, and she, it wasn't even about the CBA at all. It was about minor league baseball. And she said something about how the players need to just agree to something and go play. It's like, I don't understand what people are missing about this not being the player's fault, but the owners, these billionaires. And again, I I get it. Some of these players are rich. Some of them, very few of them. Not as many as people think are. Not nearly as many as people think. And they're are a lot of minor league baseball players who are getting not a lot of anything um, less than minimum wage, way less than minimum wage. And these owners, all of them billionaires, all of them, we saw the smallest market in major league baseball sell its team for a billion dollars. Two years ago, the Royals sold for a billion dollars at worst. These guys are billionaires at, at minimum. And yet these, these people go to bat like it's, it's not their problem. This is 1,000% their problem. Nothing they do is capable of being done without the players and the fans. And they are trying to scrape every last penny from your pockets before they have a season this year. And so I don't understand where the, where the disconnect is about how people can make this the player's fault. Like they are trying to get a piece of the pie. Like I, I saw like the NFL and the NBA – get close to 50%. If it's not 50% revenue split, Major League Baseball back like 10, 12 years ago was like 36. Like they're not even close to getting half the pot. And yet people make this a player's problem, which I just, I laugh at every time I, I read it. Um, but I'm anyway, Jeremy. It wasn't so infuriating. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on where we're at. We we recorded last week. We had the CBA episode, if you missed it. And there's been nothing in a week. Um, Major League Baseball refuses to come to the table. They have not sent back a proposal to the players since their latest proposal. This is 1,000%. The ball is in the players, or I'm sorry, in the owner's court now, and we're just waiting for the owners to do something. So, Jeremy, I know Whit Merrifield made some comments uh, to Jason Stark of The Athletic recently. Did you did you see those comments and, and, and kind of how you feeling about the lockout right now? Uh, well, I didn't specifically see his comments to Jason Stark, but I did see his recent tweet. Um, which is kind of trying to address why there's a negotiation that's necessary. 
Um, and he he pointed out that uh, that the biggest thing is that the players in years zero through three just aren't making enough money and uh, or they're not making the amount of money that they're worth. And this is this has been part of MLB's salary structure for forever. The idea was that you're not going to get paid what you're worth as a rookie, but when you hit free agency, uh, once they got free agency, once you get free, hit free agency, you're going to get paid what you're worth. You just got to kind of accept because of the antitrust laws, because of the, the seasonal employment laws uh, that the MLB has convinced the government to go along with. Uh, they they have to be underpaid to start and they don't have a choice as to where they're going to work. And then and then eventually they'll reach free agency or they'll negotiate a contract extension and then they'll be paid more what they're worth. And MLB has been kind of slowly but surely moving away from that where the more than half of the players this year or in, in 2021, I should say, more than half of the players were still on their rookie contracts. That's that's a lot. And guys are being non-tendered more often. And guys are having to go uh, overseas to even play baseball more often right now because MLB says, why should I pay you the veteran minimum when I could pay? Because And this is where the players are right when they say that statistics are, are kind of they're taking away their livelihood is that MLB has used statistics to figure out I, your replacement level. I looked at your war and your replacement level. I can find 10 guys just like you in my minor league system. Why should I pay you anything when I could pay those guys next to nothing? And so the players have said, okay, it's not reasonable for us to look at you and say, you have to pay these guys and not go for the rookies that's not an argument you can make. So they said, okay, fine. If that's what you're going to do, you got to pay the rookies at least closer to what they're worth. Otherwise this isn't working. And uh, MLB is just the, the owners are flatly disinterested and they are willing to sit here and play a game where they do things like demand a federal mediator after refusing to to uh, respond to the latest counteroffer. The latest offer that was made, just in case people are not aware, was by the players. So don't tell players to come to the table. The players are sitting at the table saying, we've got an offer for you. Come back and tell us what you will do, what you won't do. And the and MLB is not saying is not just sitting there saying you know this isn't good enough they're saying we won't even talk to you right now we think we need a federal mediator and then they're spreading rumors that uh scott boris is is actually the power behind the mlbpa which doesn't it's stupid it's not that's not how this works well and that doesn't matter it's like who cares who's giving them their good ideas and their leverage and their notes like that's who cares like that so even if it was true even if it was true, though, technically, if it was true and the way it's been framed, the players would be like, I've heard it's illegal to send people to the table who can't make a deal, but I'm not really sure what the laws are around negotiations like this. So I can't say that for sure, but it's like, it's kind of, it would be operating in bad faith if they were do, if they were sending people to the table who couldn't actually negotiate because they have to wait for Scott Boros to approve everything. Scott Boros does have a lot of common interest with the players. He's got other things that aren't common interests with the players. And it's just kind of, 
it looks to me like one of those things where the owners are just trying to make, oh, the people don't like Scott Boris because he represents the, the, the expensive players. And everybody knows that if he represents their player, they're going to have to pay more. They're not going to have their guy uh, fan. He's one of the few kind of villains fans can identify uh, in their fandom. So it reads to me like they're trying to kind of be like, oh, look, the players have uh, the villain on their side. So, you know, side with us. And this, it's just, it's crazy. I I am beyond frustrated when I see people try to insist that this is a rich people versus rich people problem when it's millionaires versus billionaires, which is not even, it's not in the same ballpark. Those two things are vastly different. They sound very alike. They're one letter alike as a word, but they're very different. They describe very different people. Um, and And the players work to earn that money this is important distinction. The players work to earn that money. The owners just have that money and they make money just because they have that money and they own things. They don't do any work to, to continue profiting. It's just, it blows my mind that people will sit there and, and think that these two things are the same and, and they're just not. And then again, as I mentioned at the beginning, I just want to mention one more time before I let you talk again, Alex, because I know I'm just kind of ranting uh, is that the negotiations, the players' focus in these negotiations is on getting the people who do not make millions of dollars, trying to get them more money. These people are in the league for two, three, four years. They don't get a giant pension. They don't make a million dollars. They had to be in the minor leagues for probably five or six years, making less than a minimum wage to even get that far. They have to go and get other jobs. They deserve to get paid what at least closer to what they're worth because you could talk about the ticket prices you could talk about whatever MLB is a trillion dollar enterprise and it doesn't happen without the players so the players should be getting a much bigger slice of the pie than they're getting so two things really quick um number one when he was talking about player minimum salaries and stuff the minimum salary they've been negotiating is somewhere in the range of seven hundred thousand dollars and that's right on par, if not a little better than like NFL and NBA. But what people I don't think understand is in the NFL, you get drafted and at most a team can control you for four years before they have to start paying you a lot of money. Like even a first round player, the first round, the extra year, the fifth year option on a first round draft pick in the NFL is a lot more money. It's like it's like basically going to arbitration almost um, like Major League Baseball players do. And then the franchise tag that would go on year six is the average of like the top five players in the position, which is starts to become insane amount of money in major league baseball. They do have arbitration after three years, but it's seven years of control. Most of the time, and Eric Cosmer, Mike Moustakis, the just the in the majors. Correct. Correct. And so most guys spend three to five years in the minors and then seven in the big leagues. That is, there's no, good opportunity to put your self on the on the free agent market and, until you get like unless you want to work out a team friendly extension right and so the difference in the in the minimum salary for rookies in the NFL and MLB is the years of control right so that's the biggest issue secondly i'll push back a little bit on the owners thing cuz i think sometimes we get like I don't know, like my frustration builds up and I start to think, yeah, you're right. And it's like, well, okay, hang on. They, they work. The business side of baseball 
must be marketed and it must be done well it's otherwise not done by the owners that's done by the front well, office but they 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 run the business side of the team they still uh, are involved in business operations to what extent i don't know but they are definitely involved i think the 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 difference is between this and any other company in the world is you can't just start a 31st major league baseball team right this is this is a trust it is an ex, it is an exclusive club that only 30 people get to be a part of as a majority owner of these clubs and so I think the point really is if you're not going to compete, if you're not going to contend, spend money and try, you shouldn't get to own a team. Like there are other billionaires who would line up to buy these teams. Like there are more than 30, right? And they would all love the investment because of what we saw at the Royals. David Glass bought it for what? Was it 80 or 100 million? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like less, that it was like a hundred million dollars or less for sure. And he sold it for a billion in 20 years. Like, Come on, they would they would line up for that investment because they know they can sell it for more down the road if they ever want to sell it. Otherwise, some of these guys would just own these teams forever. Like you don't think Mark Cuban like to own a baseball team? Like absolutely, people would line up to do it. And there's owners right now who aren't competing. The Pittsburgh Pirates payroll, looking for this year and last year, is is laughable. Like the Sean mentioned it on the last podcast. Like that is borderline stripping the Pirates ownership of their right to own a baseball team like the players part of the leverage they're working for is you have owners who aren't trying and they're owning the team as a business because they know they can sell it later for more money no matter what like there are reasons owners for owners to not try so i think that's that's part of the conversation is a lot of these the people who don't understand why we think why we you know make this the owner's fault so much is they act like the owners don't owe it to people to spend money. This is a business, yes, but there are only 30 of them like this in the world, and there should be some sort of caveat, some sort of influence, some sort of anything that forces them to spend money, that forces them to try, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if, and if they're not going to, then kick them out. They, you can sell it at market value. You can sell it to whoever you want, but if you're not going to compete, if you're not going to try, you don't get to own one of these teams. One more thing I want to throw out there as far as money goes is that the way that MLB is currently structured hurts MLB. Um, the The case for this, I think, is Kyler Murray uh, right now. He got drafted very high by the the Oakland A's. He got a good uh, he got a good draft bonus, and then he found out he could play football. And he can get drafted in football. And so he said, screw MLB, I'm out of here. And why would he do that? Because if he goes to the NFL, he gets immediately, he gets paid more than he gets paid in MLB. Like the uh, the year one salary for quarterback is more than an MLB draft bonus is. Uh, number two is he immediately is in the big leagues quote unquote of the NFL. And he's on that, like you said, that four year deal or five year deal uh, where he's, he's played two years. And I think he's probably already negotiating a very lucrative extension for himself uh, in Arizona. Uh, Whereas in MLB, he still would not even be in the big leagues yet. Even if he's an amazing superstar, he's probably going would have started 2022 in the minor leagues. Because that's just how that works. Uh, he might have been ready to start this year, but again, then he's on his rookie deal, making 
less money and with a longer period of time before he can hit free agency and hit that money. So the way things are structured right now, there is absolutely no reason for any athlete who can play football, who can play basketball to play baseball because they can make more money playing football and basketball. So why would they? It's just, that makes no sense. I agree with you. I do think the, the NBA is more similar to MLB where you can get drafted sooner. Like you don't have to go to college for three years. And I think there are some hairs to split there, but they're not major points. Um, And you're right. There are incentives. Now safety incentives probably lead you away from the NFL like Kyler and Kyler Murray's a let's use AJ Brown. Did you see the video of AJ Brown? He's a receiver for the Titans hitting in the cage. Okay. AJ Brown played in the Under Armour All-America game with Kyler Murray in high school. AJ Brown got drafted by the Padres out of high school. AJ Brown, I think, is the better example because you have a guy who went to Ole Miss. So a big school, a good school, not Alabama, not Georgia, good SEC school, reasonable chance to make the NFL if he has a good career at Ole Miss, right? He goes to Ole Miss. He ends up a second or third round pick because I think didn't the Chiefs draft McCole Hardman in front of him? So yeah, you have a second round. So a second round pick, and now he's really good, but you still have the player safety issues of, of some sort, and he's going to make a lot of money. So that's the kind of guy you need to swing to baseball, and right now they're not. And so the guy that's that's coming up on the on the podcast, Jeremy, that we're going to interview is Harold Kuntz of Fox Four, Kansas City. He's their um, the sports anchor of Fox Four. What I want to ask him is when you when you're on a local level, the, the job of covering teams becomes almost promoting the brand of the sport. Because when you're talking just to Kansas City, most people are already Royals fans. They don't have to be sold on the team. And that's why I think a lot of Royals fans tend to gravitate towards like national media, where like in New York, they would they would probably read the New York Times, but like here in Kansas City in small town USA relatively speaking, we are more focused on right, more focused on what the national media thinks of us than our local media. So I do want to ask him because you're 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 kind of promoting baseball at that point more than the Royals. Um and, and that's you know half the job of, of what we do is is promote a game and promote a town as well as promoting the sport the the team specifically right and so I don't know. I kind of want to ask him about that. And, and you're right. We have to do, as baseball fans, a better job of marketing it, which is why I get so frustrated listening to broadcasters who are like, I don't know, Troy Aikman. It's like, what are we doing? Like, Troy Aikman, the fact that he doesn't do more baseball just shocks me because that guy has big time old man baseball vibes when he is broadcasting NFL games. So, um, Harold is ready to join us. Um, we're going to bring him in here in a second. We're throwing an ad break. But on the other side of this, we're going to talk about these issues of, of baseball being kind of this. I hate when people say that baseball's dying. Like, really, they just made all kinds of money in the national media markets. But the owners love to tell you that baseball is dying, so you'll come spend more money, that you'll make it the player's fault, right? They love to tell you that, but baseball's doing fine. But it is starting to kind of fall behind in terms of the the youth and the how much they're watching baseball. So we'll talk to Harold Kuntz about that coming up um, right here on the other side of this break. 
All right. Welcome back. We are now joined by Harold Kuntz of Fox 4 Kansas City, um, the, the lead sports uh, anchor for Fox 4. Um, we were just talking about, I got an uncle that works for Fox 4. So I, I grew up watching Fox 4 and Harold, I've seen a lot of what you do and I, I love, love tuning in um, after Royals games. There's always like this weird period between the end of Royals games and like that, that late night um like the late night coverage of, of the post game and trying to catch the Royals post game show and jumping over to Fox fours, you know, the post game coverage and then tuning in all week. And, you know, like there, there's always like that baseball fix throughout the day. So um, enjoy what you do. And uh, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, no problem. So the first thing I do want to ask you about is related to the lockout. Um, Jeremy and I talked about this a little bit where the lockout, not as much as a strike, like in 94 players walking away. I've, I've got an uncle who a great uncle who, who says he'd never watched a major league baseball game again after the players walked off in the middle of the season. Now was some of that because the Royals were in first place. Maybe, I don't know, but he said, he swears he hasn't watched a major league baseball game since. And I can sense some angst building in, among all baseball fans that if a lockout were to force these uh, teams to miss games that there could be some some growing frustrations that lead to a loss of fans so as a local reporter I, I know it's probably your job is less oriented in covering the national baseball landscape but how important is it for um, you know guys like you here in the local media to really sell baseball to the fans to make sure that we keep a positive note so that when baseball inevitably does return at some point that fans haven't totally disengaged for the summer? Well, I don't think necessarily it's our job to, you know, promote, if you will. We're in the business of trying to, you know, report things accurately and, and making sure that, you know, what happens is, is what is reported on. Uh, obviously, we want to, you know, enjoy the ball game, enjoy Royals coverage. We enjoy Royals coverage. But at the same time, you have to realize that if they're not giving us anything to promote or to cover, then it really just makes us hard to do our job. So that's kind of what we're at right now with the lockout. All we can do is really report with the people that know a lot about more to Jeff Pastons of the world, uh, uh, guys like that who just are so in tune with what the owners are doing, what the owners are squabbling with right now, especially when they're having their meetings uh, going on, the MLB meetings with the owners. The players are, are, are kind of voiceless right now with the exception of social media, as we've seen with Nikki Lopez and with Mary Field. So that's where we stand right now. We can only really report on what we have. We'd love to be going out to Arizona for spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting scheduled next week for most teams and then get out there and then the annual opening spring game with the Rangers that they do out there in surprise. We'd love to be doing that right now. We'd love to be having sit downs with Mike Matheny, sit downs with some of the players, sit that, you know, and covering like what a great season Salvador Perez had last year. What a, what a great second half of the season Nicky Lopez had last year. What the consistency of what Maryfield Obviously, the dangling uh, apple on the tree of will or will not Bobby Witt be uh, your starting third baseman, second baseman, whoever for the Royals uh, next season. Outfielder, he can do it all. I mean, but we're sitting here watching him kick 50-yard field goals. So it, it's it's really an interesting time in baseball. And I don't think this is 94. I think this will get figured out. And, and I do believe that we'll be playing baseball and maybe a shortened season. But we will be playing baseball, but right now baseball's undoing is really because of the way baseball is structured. It's always been the owners versus the players in any other league hockey had a strike, uh, but they worked it out. 
basketball was about to have a strike, but they kind of worked it out. Of course, you have the replacement days in the 80s, but and, but we still watch football. Leave that, and I think really the end of this, but we're such a football team, people who watch the Pro Bowl. So, so imagination. So work on just reporting what we can do, knowing that people are antsy. Two fan fests have been gone. So, I mean, we had a fan fest. Okay, so you, you talked a little bit there. We had a little bit of an internet connection issue, but you talked a little bit about there about all the time that was missed, all the interviews we won't be getting to have, the fan fests that are missed. I was so running a, a small blog. We have you know stats about how many people come in, come and go and click and read and all that good stuff, and how many people download podcasts, for example. I will say after, you know, obviously this wasn't a labor issue, but when we missed games and during the COVID season, fan interaction when baseball restarted was really, really low. Um, it was so much lower, like on a per day rate compared to 2019 that I really kind of wondered, I was like, man, I don't know if like our little website is going to make it through this. And then 2021 was better, but I mean, it was you know, more 2018 and 2019. And I really kind of think that the COVID year, unfortunately, you know, didn't, it's not like it kicked a lot of fans away from baseball, but in, in a way it kind of disengaged fans a little bit for their summer. Have you guys, have you guys noticed in, in talking to people and the reactions and the feedback you get from fans, any leftover like negative impact from that COVID year? And does it, does that worry you about like let's just say they miss a week? Is do you think that it could be like like really negatively impact the um, the audience for baseball moving forward this summer? Well, the biggest thing is labor peace. People want to see labor peace, and this is the only sport that's talking about non labor peace right now. Well, the, the you look at baseball, the main headline is will they or will they not play? And for some reason, it's gotten to a will or will they not play instead of okay, let's think about when they will play. And we haven't been able to do our fantasy lineups yet. We haven't been able to, to have Hope Springs Eternal yet. We haven't gotten there yet because we don't even have spring show. It, it, it does hurt. And the lockout, uh, the 60-game season during the COVID year still had some squabble with it between the owners and the players. And you can see it permeate through the end of last season where we, we, we did have a full season, but we still slowly integrated fans into the, into the K and, all under uh, 29 stadiums across MLB. And I mean, remember at one point we, we were hankering for Korean baseball. Like that was a thing that was happening at one point in the year of our Lord, uh, 2020. So it, it, it's, it's just really come down to, we don't have the consistency yet in baseball. And there's, there's, there's more consistency in the stories about baseball. There's more consistency in the movies about baseball. There's more consistency on debates about Hall of Fame merit in baseball, but we don't have consistency on what's actually going on in the field right now. You know, I look forward to seeing something like MLB Network's 30 clubs in 30 days. We would look forward to going to Arizona, as I alluded to earlier. We're not getting that right now, and, and that hurts. That hurts the product. That hurts the fan product. We, we don't have storylines yet. I mean, we, I'd love to talk about, okay, how they're fully switching to the young pitching group, how – how does Salvador Perez repeat what he did last year? The growth of Nicky Lopez, a couple other storylines that we figured out. Uh, but we're just not there yet and because we don't have any answers. And right now, if you don't have answers, you don't have product, you don't have us at the moment. 
And so we're sitting here trying to, you know, so, I mean, right now on the calendar, we're sitting here trying to look forward to college basketball and the Big 12 tournament because we don't know if you're looking forward to baseball. That's where everybody's attention to really turn to right now. And I mean, college basketball is great of a product because it is not professional baseball. It never will be. You're not getting, you're not getting as many people interested in, say, the Kansas Jayhawks right now that you would the Royals at the opening start of the season. So it, it's frustrating. It, it's frustrating. And, you know, you have to kind of find things right now for us to keep our, you know, business going as, as it is right now in terms of being sports. So it is a tough time, but I, I, I guess it's just, you need the product right now. You need some optimism and you don't have the optimism right now because again, they're stuck down there doing their winter meetings and it, it's going, it's, it's, it, it looks like there's just there's not enough being talked of in a, in a great way, in an ideal optimistic way. It's all negative. And that, and that attracts me. Did you happen to see the video of AJ Brown hitting baseballs in the cage? Yeah, yeah, of course it did. Yeah, he was actually a really good baseball player. He was really, a, really he was good. Drafted, so, actually, I think it was drafted by I want to say the Braves or Tigers, nineteenth round, something like that. Yeah. Padres. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. yes, so out of high school, he actually played in the Under Armour All American game with in the same game as Kyler Murray, and then he was drafted by the Padres out of high school. And so I was talking to Jeremy about this, and and. You know, we were kind of going back and forth with Kyler Murray getting drafted by the A's and then playing football instead. And I, and I kind of said, you know what, though, a quarterback going number one overall, like, you know, maybe. And I was like, the guys that they really need to start doing a better job of capturing are the A.J. Browns of the world, the two-sport athletes who have a legitimate, like, if, if, if A.J. Brown's football commitment wasn't so strong, he's probably going top ten rounds. And you're looking at potentially signing for a million dollars at a high school instead of going to college. Now he plays baseball, right? So I think I think those are the guys baseball needs to do a better job of attracting. When it comes to reporting about baseball in the local media, I can I'm a high school teacher. I can speak from experience. If I just walked into a room, put up a picture of the five best baseball players and the five last guys to make the NFL Pro Bowl roster, there is a 100% chance more students of mine could identify the last five guys that made the Pro Bowl than the best five baseball players. And I think sometimes when I, when I think about this, it's like, I think there's part of it is branding. Part of it is marketing and, and who you market to and, and how you do it and how you promote a positive energy around your game. And part of it is, I mean, baseball will never be football, but th- there was even the thing like with basketball and the NBA, you see highlights on social media all the time. And major league baseball had, um, uh, what's the name? Rob Friedman, uh, pitching ninja, you know, shut down for posting yeah. pitching highlights. It's like, what are we doing? Like, yeah, you can work out a deal where he puts the logo in your, in his videos without shutting him off of Twitter. Like it's a horrible look. So I know you mentioned earlier that your job is not to promote the news. It's to report the news. And I get that in a sense, but the more that people turn away from baseball, I'm assuming the less people are watching sports coverage in the summers at Fox four and the more people that watch the happier your bosses are. So I know it's not a job of promotion, but how important do you perceive it in your job that people are watching baseball and, and how do we do a better job as a baseball community, as a sports community in your case, I guess, of, of making sure that people keep watching and keep buying in and not that, you know, our jobs are dependent on it, but it is, it's our, that's what we love to do. And the more people that share what we love to do, the happier we're going to be. So 
How do we do that? How do we make sure that more young kids are watching baseball? Man, I mean, when you say the young kids, that's that's really the tough part there. Uh, I mean, there's another story for another day with what I think about youth baseball and how it's really outpriced a lot of kids who could potentially play baseball. I think there's a big story there that that it definitely is uh, with a lot of merit as to, you know, developing that new society kids. Because, you know, we always talk about length of baseball. Well, let me tell you something. Football is about three hours. And baseball is about three hours, give or take, you know, with the relief pitching now. But um, it, it's 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 interesting how we haven't gotten squarely to that point yet, mostly because winter, it's still cold outside. When that sun comes up and when it started to be 60, 65 degrees on a daily basis, then people are going to be like, where's my – another thing, too, is the regionalization of the game. Bally is sports right now is, is having a difficult time making it available to everybody. Um, unless you of course have cables. Yeah, I have cable. We have cable here. So it's not, not a big deal for us, but to the common viewer who might have a YouTube TV or something like that, that's a difficulty. You've got to reach out. You mentioned uh, social media and watching basketball. I mean, worldwide Wob for the NBA is great. He's a fantastic watch. Pitching engine was great. John boy media is fun to watch, but you need more of those. I mean, like I, I enjoy watching John boy. Uh, and just everything about like the, the the lip reading and everything that goes into it, but it's a problem when John Boy becomes more popular than actually watching the the fifth inning of a game between the Royals and the Tigers in the middle of June. So all those kind of things boil into the fact that the regionalization of the game, the, the youth that has a little discord, and like you said in your high school class, that the kids might recognize the Pro Bowlers would. Uh, a Royals player. I mean, you could go to Kansas City, right? You could go to the plaza in Kansas City right now, probably walk down the street. And if uh, Nicky Lopez walks down, you know, five out of 10 might people might recognize him. But of course, I mean, I won't even name a prominent chief. If Nick Bolton has him right now, because that's just where the city and, and that's where the Royals are right now. So, and, and trust me, I like both guys. I mean, I think Nicky's an exceptional guy. So it's uh, it's a problem that baseball has to deal with. And, of course, when you got the suits dealing with things, and nobody likes suits dealing with things. That makes it a little more difficult, too. Uh, and they're negotiating. And then you also think about the negotiation, like people that are at our level of economic status. When you see a bunch of millionaires and billionaires arguing over money, and we're just trying to make a, a thousand error. <laughs> it, it just, it's not, it's never a good look. It's, it's never a good look. And I, I'm hoping that that changes. And again, I'm, I'm hoping they get back to what they need to get to, but it, it's never a good look when like all those com combination of factors, um, you know, you're outpricing the kid who wants to play. I mean, the Kansas city has done as, as better, as good of a job as anybody with the urban youth Academy, the Negro league baseball museum. They're getting, they're getting the sport of baseball out there. I mean, I can't say enough how somebody like Bob Kendrick has got baseball, thinking about baseball 365 days a year um, in this market. But you don't have that same advantage. I mean, this isn't like a true baseball. Like St. Louis is a true baseball. We know that. Um, if you live in the north side of Chicago, it's, but, you know, the Colorado Rockies are playing up the train. You know, the San Diego Padres are entertaining because of Fernando Tatis. But outside of that, are you paying attention to the San Diego Padres if you live in the East Coast? No. Are you paying attention to the Yankees if you live in the West Coast? Probably not. So it's it's, it's the regionalization, the youth, and, and the recognize, recognition of some of the best players 
it all hurts as a, as a combination. It, it hurts baseball. I, I should have asked you this before we started. Have you worked um, in other local news stations outside of Kansas City? Yes. Yeah. Where, where, so where at? So uh, I, I, I'm looking for an example. Oh, uh, well, okay. Well, I've worked in Maryland. Maryland? And uh, they split between the Orioles and the Nationals. Yeah. So, gotcha. but where I was, it was very split between or- Orioles and Nationals. Gotcha. Uh, the Nationals were very much, uh, oh, the Nationals were very much, uh, if they won, you paid attention to. And the Orioles, Orioles have a lot of tradition in Baltimore. Um, and plus they have one of the, I think for my money, one of the best stadiums in the country in Camden Yards. But the problem is the Orioles have been poorly, poorly owned. Um, with the exception of Buck Showalter, they were poorly managed. Um, and, and in the Nationals, they got good a little bit under Davey, but then obviously you had the Bryce Harpers and the Zimmermans of the world and, 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 and Steven, so um, Strasburg. But, and Max Scherzer, but it's just, um, you know, they paid attention to when they won. Uh, when they didn't win, it was just seen as just another event in the Navy Yard for 20,000, 30,000 people to attend. So, yeah, I mean, other sports now, and I, I can say this, I mean, I know people in pretty much any market, like I can go to Dallas and I can tell you right now, people will go if the team is good, but that's any sport other than, of course, the Cowboys. If the Mavericks are good, people will watch. If the Stars are good, people will watch. If the Rangers are good, people watch. If, say, if FC Dallas is good, people so much. But, but it's, uh, it, it's just interesting how it's really come, come around to how each market you go to um, has different restrictions. Like Oklahoma doesn't have a professional baseball team but they restrict you in certain areas for watching the Rangers. They restrict you from watching the Royals. Um, they restrict you from watching the Cardinals in certain areas. It's, it's tough to deal with. And people just get tired of like, all right, I'm not going to flip around anymore. You know, if you're not going to satisfy me, the customer, instead of home and watch ball game, I'm not going to watch. So it, it, it gets tougher and tougher each year the way baseball has these rules. So that's, that's kind of where I was leading into. And I'm, I'm glad you came around to that. Have you seen the map for Iowa? Oh yeah, it's like eight teams. It's like yeah, it's over. A, it's over a quarter of the league. They're blacked yeah. out from watching. So that's so that's that was where I was kind of headed with that. That question is, if you're in a in a place like that, and and one of the things that made me think about it was um, Alex Gold on six ten, um, having worked in in Boise, is if you're in an area like that, and obviously Maryland's got two teams that, that people follow, but if you're in an area like Iowa or Boise or North Dakota, South Dakota, how, how does local sports coverage differ? Like what, like, I, so I guess in, in Maryland, you had, you had two teams. Do you spend an equal amount of time covering both teams? Like what if you're in Iowa, if you're in Iowa, you got eight teams that are blacked out. I'm assuming that that's because there are eight teams. Major league baseball thinks you want to watch. So what's the, what's the coverage? Like, how do you, how do you split up your time and, and, and cover that? And, so I guess we'll stick with Maryland here. What's it like covering a city with or a, a town, a state with with two teams people really pay attention to? Well, you cover both. Uh, you get to the ideal game. So the the one advantage was one's an American League team, one's a National League team. So if you knew the Nationals were hosting a big NL East game, you know, say Braves, Mets, whatever, you go to that. If the Orioles are hosting Yankees, Red Sox, you know, something big, you go to that. Um, from a television perspective, I mean, one was MASM, which is Mid-Atlantic Sports Network. The other one was Mid-Atlantic Sports Network 2. I mean, it would be the same way Bally Sports shows a Royals game and then they show a Sporting KC game. They both are on at the same time. 
So, I mean, you give equal coverage to both, but again, you know, winners get top billing. So that's where you go. I mean, a, a better example from a television perspective was actually when I lived in Oklahoma, where they would have four teams that they pay, of course, the Rangers, the Royals, the Cardinals. And at the time, both the minor league teams were affiliates of the Colorado Rockies. So you had them. Now they're the Dodgers, but you, you, you did have the Rockies back then. So that's the teams you would pay attention to because people want to see those guys that used to play for the Tulsa Drillers and the Oklahoma City, well, Red Hawks and then 89ers and now they're the Dodgers. And people want to see those guys that they watched. I mean, you know, like you watched Nolan Arenado playing Tulsa. You know, even if it was a rehab assignment, you're like, oh, I got to watch a professional ball player play in a double A ballpark. Um, and then obviously the ties to the Cardinals and the Royals and the Rangers with their proximity to all six, uh, three of those cities. So, but it, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, you, it's a balancing act, but it's not like a balancing act. that's really hard. It's more of a balancing act. Like, let's just make sure all bases are covered here and you present the information that, you know, happens. But again, being relevant when, if you're in a market, like, I mean, when we were in, like, when I was back in Maryland, the Ravens were a playoff team, but obviously the Washington, well, at the time, you know what name, they, they were never even close. So the Nationals kind of really prioritized itself, but still, they had to be good. If they weren't good, then you ship the, you ship the training camp immediately. You know, unfortunately, there's this adage of when training camp starts in St. Joe, if the Royals are not at, at a record where people are genuinely paying attention, then all of a sudden a Patrick Mahomes press conference in St. Joe becomes a lot more important, you know, frankly, than the game at night. So it's, it, it's a tough proposition, but it's just every number fact, webpage article read, rating point we see, it points to that. And unless they're good. That's a good point. And I, I always go back and forth of like, I cannot imagine living in Iowa and having eight teams blacked out. And I, and I know I, I watch probably more baseball than the average sports fan, but like on any given night in the summer, cause I'm a teacher. So in the summer, if I'm not, if I don't have things like scheduled the next morning, I'll stay up, watch a West coast game all night. And I cannot imagine living in a town or anywhere where eight teams, because like, if you're thinking about this from like, I know that sounds like a quarter if you're listening, but you, what, what that really is is half. It's over half because they're playing somebody else. So you might be blacked out from watching the twins, but if the twins are on the West coast playing the Padres, you can't watch that game because now, so now you've lost the Padres. You've literally lost half of the teams in major league baseball at any given point in time. So major league baseballs, I mean, I, I, I have no clue what their, what their whole gig is there and why they won't come up with yeah. a, with a service better than, than what they have. Um, yeah. But anyway, Harold, I appreciate your time tonight. There's there's one last question I wanted to ask you. Sure. Is in your time covering the Royals, what has been the craziest experience you've had? Um, not just covering the Royals, but being around the team. Was there like a moment when like you were in the locker room? Because I remember the, like, one thing I'll never forget. I was in eighth or like a freshman in high school, whatever year that was. We were down at Mizzou basketball camp. And I turned around, I was standing next to Damari Carroll and I never even realized it. Right. So like, what was that? What was that like one moment for you in Kansas city? Or I, let's, let's expand it to your sports coverage career where you were like, Holy cow, I can't believe I'm doing this for a living. Hmm. Uh, I think two things stand out and they're first uh, in this market. I mean, people forget 
my first day on the job wasn't even in Kansas City. It was in Arizona. My first day on the job, they threw me out there to surprise. And literally, it was a surprise. Uh, go cover the Royals. They were coming off a, a 50-something win season that year. And But I, I was out there, and I was like, man, I, I don't think I'd researched so much about a team in the last two days just trying to transition myself from Oklahoma to the Royals. I mean, thank, and, and going to the rules we talked about earlier about the blackout rules, you didn't get to watch as much Royals as you think you would have, even though I was four hours away from Kansas City. Um, but, you know, obviously I did, I did remember the, the 2014, 2015 seasons, um, what, what that meant to the city here. I do remember, you know, kind of the downfall and the, the players, uh, you know, a lot of the jettison of the Moustakas of the world and all of them were headed out. So, yeah, but I, I had a following, but it wasn't like, okay, these this new crop of guys that are trying to build up, you know, man, you, you had me a little lost there. So, you know, a lot of research went into that and, you know, Getting Ned Yost toward the end of his his uh, tenure was just like uh, great. I, I think I feel like I caught him at like the wrong time, uh, considering his personality. I mean, he's a great guy. It's just you know his personality takes a little. He's a little surly and try to get used to. But yeah, I, I'll be honest. I mean, like first day, I'm in the clubhouse, and you know you, you're being told that like, oh, Alex Gordon likes to work out. He'll make himself available eventually. Um, you, you just figure out the personalities there. But and to the other part, just overall my career. I would say, well, back when I was in Oklahoma, um, well, two, two stand out. And again, they're both quite, when I was in the Ravens locker room and Ray Lewis, you know, you're sitting there front and center with Ray Lewis. He is as scary of an individual, even just if you need a soundbite from that, he is just watching him play. <laughs> um, and then how tall Kevin Durant is when I was in Oklahoma. Um, I, I, my shoulders still soared from a couple of, you know, having to, you know, get my, Mike up there, but then um, that's always interesting. And then when I first came here, and then you know Patrick Mahomes, MVP Patrick Mahomes, walks into the press conference room. You're like, oh, that's actually Patrick Mahomes. You know, but, I mean, you get over it in five seconds, but it's just like, oh yeah, but you know, I, I, you know, I've been able to cover arguably um, three of the greatest players to, to play to play sports, and that is Kevin Durant. I think Patrick Mahomes, at the end of the day, will be up there. And, and Ray Lewis, I think, is one of the greatest linebackers ever played a game. And that's a pretty cool resume. <laughs> that's a pretty cool resume. I mean, uh, I mean baseball, uh, obviously, um, I covered Bryce Harper when he was at Hagerstown Suns. And then he went up to Harrisburg to play for the Senators. And, I mean, he's one of the greatest you know, baseball players playing right now. So, I mean, I, I think uh, Manny Machado. When he was with the Orioles before he went to the Padres, you know, I covered him. I covered him in minor leagues. So with the Frederick Keys. So I mean, when you look at that, I mean, I, I'd put that top that five overall athletes with anybody that's been able to cover that. And, and it, it, when you look back at it, when, when I say it out loud, I think about how much of a blessing it is to really, you know, enjoy the careers of some of the best that ever played sports. That's awesome. I. You know, I've, I've never had those experiences yet, but even in, in a brief career, it's, it's crazy the, the feedback you get and the people that you get to work with. And every now and then, like, it's just the people you come across in the business. So I can't, I can't imagine what that's like. And um, hopefully, hopefully one day I get somebody like that on the podcast. That'd be, that'd be awesome. I think I've had, I think we've had Brad Keller on before. I think, and I, but I think Brad Keller would tell you having Patrick Mahomes on the podcast be 
be pretty cool. So, um, one of these days, man. <laughs> all right, Harold, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I, I really think the the local media, especially in Kansas City, is 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 a bigger influence than than a lot of places because of the size of the city. So the job you guys do is fantastic. I, I love tuning in throughout the summer just to, you know, get that extra perspective on what the Royals are doing. So uh, thanks for what you do. Thanks for coming on tonight. And then we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. All right. That was a real pleasure being with you. Really do. Thanks, sir. All right, man. All right. A big thanks again to Harold Kuntz of Fox four sports in Kansas city. Um, that was awesome. I really, I always enjoy talking to people who, get to work with the players in the local media because the national media, you know, the stories and what they're looking for are very different. It's much, it's a much different feel from the local media. And I really feel like our local media probably sometimes aren't supported enough. So thanks to Harold for coming on. Love the work he does over at Fox four in Kansas city. And if you're listening to this and you, and you've never seen Harold, uh, make sure you tune in throughout the summers because it's, you know, even if a, if, if a Royal segment is only a few minutes long on any given June day, that extra like, hey, if, if we're taking the kids to the Royals game, let's turn on the news and see what's going on can be the difference between like knowing what's going on that night or missing like, you know, visiting starting pitchers, 1000th strikeout or whatever the situation may be. Right. So the perspective they bring, the angle they bring is outstanding. Love every second of it. Thanks to Jeremy for joining again, as always. He had to run, um, so it's just me right now. But next week, uh, Jeremy and I will be recording our last show together uh, for Royals Review Radio. Um, I appreciate you guys, everybody who's followed us. Um, some other some other things have come up. Some other time commitments have come up. So not going to be able to carry this through the season. Next week, Jeremy and I will be on for the final time together. We will try to have the biggest, coolest show possible for you. And hopefully there will be a very, very strong relay runner coming up uh, behind us to take the take the mic, so to speak, as the regular season hopefully gets started on time. So thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you again to Jeremy and Harold for joining me tonight. We will be back again next week. I'll see you guys again real soon.